The Trouble with Transformation, a serialized podcast by Alison Whip. Chapter 40 Switching Faces. In its emptiness and blue half light, the huge amphitheater took on an eerie gleam, like torchlight on the walls of a water filled cave. An image of sneaking around the ocean bars popped into my head, sending a chill from my neck to ankles. I shook it away, striding purposefully down the steep gradient of rows. I reached the foot of the stairs leading backstage and came across another checkpoint. This one was manned by a guy and girl, slightly older than me and more interested in each other than anything else. They glanced disinterestedly at the pass hanging around my neck, then returned to bantering. It has to be Queen at Live Aid, the guy said. That's the greatest live performance of all time. The girl snorted. Because you've seen that Bohemian Rhapsody movie how many times? I rolled my eyes. Loved up teenagers. So obnoxious. Then I lugged your miserable machine. Not so heavy before, but getting that way now, up the final flight of stairs. The stage was arranged into three rows of eight cubicles where each cubicle comprised a self-contained black box. Danny's cubicle was toward the start of the second row. I did a quick scout for other people, but it looked like I was the only one who managed to sneak in early. The main curtain was down, and on that empty stage, I felt cocooned in a world that was briefly mine. I placed the wooden box on Danny's bench top pulling the mess of wires we'd used to fool Mr. Bell. I lifted out the safety goggles and keyboard, then carefully removed your device. I would have loved to test it again, on my own, just me and your machine, but there was only enough fuel for one more go. It wouldn't hurt to switch it on, though, just to see. I flicked the main power switch. A red standby light came on and the little heat control fan whirred up to a satisfying hum. What trouble are you going to cause for me today? I murmured, running my fingers over the outer casing of the machine. Do you think that pesky dad of mine will make an appearance? Think Kat will ever speak to me again? The outer casing was next level gorgeous, sleek and black like Freya. Clearly Mr J's handiwork but it reminded me of the press photos I'd seen of you and Kat, where you were all dressed up, black tie and tux, Kat owning every moment. Speaking of Kat, there was no putting off the dreaded call any longer. Soon the bell would ring and the other competitors would pour in. It was now or never. As I held the phone to my ear and listened for the ringtone, I crouched down to eye level with your machine. How'd you do it, Dad? Pull off that magic of yours, I murmured, peering into the black depths of the transformation hatch. I wasn't expecting a reply, but I got one. My phone was snatched out of my hand and something cold and hard pressed into my back. Danny? I asked, still facing the machine. Cold paralysis spread from my chest to my limbs. This isn't funny. My heart counted out the seconds as I tried to make sense of the scenario. Sure, this could be Danny's lame attempt at a joke, but sneaky scare pranks weren't his style. 
It could be a security guard. But what was that metal thing digging into my flesh? A pistol? A taser? I was pretty certain drawing a weapon on an unarmed teenager was frowned upon under the exhibition centre's security guidelines. Instinctively, I knew there could only be one person standing behind me. Mr. Makepeace. It felt better saying the words aloud, as though I was naming the boogeyman. Not exactly. The voice was familiar, but from where? Then I realised. My knees buckled. I leaned forward on the bench top, gripping the edges for support. I turned, ever so slowly, taking in the lethal-looking weapon pointed directly at my chest. My legs wobbled again. I forced myself to focus on the man holding the gun. Those eyes. Ice blue. The eyes of a dead man. Dr. Wilson. I fought for breath. I don't understand. The man holding the gun smiled tightly. I got lucky. Make peace chloroformed me while I was leaving you a message on that tree. He was driving me back to operations when I came to. I used a few old tricks to get loose and, well, Dr. Wilson shrugged. I never liked the man. You killed Mr. Makepeace? My mouth was dry, voice little more than a rasp. It doesn't pay to underestimate your enemy. Makepeace clearly didn't account for my government training. A critical error. Fatal, in fact. But they found your body. There was a cruel tilt to Dr. Wilson's lips as he said, It's amazing the full story a day's old body in the ocean and a strategically placed wallet can tell. I'm quite proud of the fact that after I killed him, I managed to pass myself off as Makepeace lugging around a drunk Wilson in Byron Bay. When the story of my untimely death hit the papers, I'm sure it didn't escape the notice of the higher government operatives. They've almost certainly figured out the truth by now. But it bought me precious time. Time enough to go underground. Dr. Wilson's eyes shone like twin moons in the half-light. My brother identified the body. Can you believe it? Didn't even know his own flesh and blood. Although I suppose I would have been bloated up like a beached whale. He took a step closer, breath reeking of black coffee and cigarettes. I inched back. The bench top dug into my hip. That's something we have in common, Dr. Wilson drew closer still. His teeth were large and perfectly even. We're on our own. No family. No family worth a damn, anyway. You wasted your time trying to impress Terry. He flashed a wolfish smile. But you've impressed me. I knew he was trying to bait me, but his words stung all the same. The pit of my stomach ached. I knew the truth now. You hadn't even tried to make contact. It was Dr. Wilson all along. But I couldn't afford to get emotional. That was what he wanted, for me to give up the fight. Where was everybody? I looked to the point where the stairs met the stage. The teenage sentries had gone. With a shudder, I wondered whether Dr. Wilson had disposed of them somehow. Surely the stage would be manned by at least one guard. That's when I noticed what Dr. Wilson was wearing. 
He was dressed head to toe in black. Holster, not so carefully concealed under a black blazer. Earpiece with a curly black cord trailing from one ear. My chest constricted. Dr. Wilson, master of disguises. Surfer, waiter, Mr. Makepeace. Now, in his latest incarnation, security guard. My gaze desperately scanned from one end of the deserted stage to the other. The rest of the competitors would arrive eventually. I had to try and stall somehow, keep him talking. You. You were the one after Terry's machine. The reason he disappeared? Dr. Wilson's cold eyes sent a chill through me. Yes. I had it all planned out. Terry would be running scared. He'd leap at my offer to smuggle him out of the country, only to discover, too late, his pursuer was me, and that I'd sold him and his machine to the highest bidder. He winced, as though swallowing something nasty. I never imagined I'd have him so skittish he'd take off on his own steam. But good things come to those who wait, and I've waited 13 years for this. But why now? Why didn't you come after it earlier? Luck again, young pet. His smile was a grim line. The real Jim and I bumped into each other while I was on a project in Tasmania earlier this year. I wasn't lying when I said we were friends. Well, as old friends do, we caught up for a drink, and then another, and another. That's when Jim started to reveal some very interesting things about your father. Namely, that he'd engineered his own disappearance and gone into hiding. Dr. Wilson tapped at his temple with his index finger. Those tree huggers? Completely unbudgeable when they're chained to a tree. But otherwise, soft as balsa wood. My throat burned. I sucked a deep breath through my teeth. So the Jim we called? Wasn't Jim at all. It was actually me. Disguised, of course. When you and your boyfriend called the number I gave you, well, how could I possibly resist? Dr. Wilson's eyes flicked from left to right, confirming we were still alone. Now, time's up. There's no one here to save you. He lunged forward, his fingers closing around the loose side plait holding my hair. He yanked hard. A searing pain bit into my scalp. Tears sprang to my eyes. My mouth opened to scream, but my vocal cords froze, managing little more than a terrified squawk. He murdered Mr. Makepeace. He's going to take the machine. Then he'll kill me. Dr. Wilson held me fast. I twisted my torso away, fingers groping along the bench top, searching for something to defend myself with. Maybe Danny left a screwdriver in amongst the wires. My hand struck something, fingertips desperately analysing. A rubbery band, pliable plastic casing, the goggles. My heart sank, but my brain scrounged for a plan. If I can just get away. There was one chance. Clasping the goggles to my eyes, I whirled around and jabbed the button on your machine. There was an ear-splitting whine, a blinding blue flash. Ah! Eyes went shut. Dr. Wilson released his grip, reached for me again and struck midair. I dropped the goggles, then yanked the machine from the socket, balancing it in my arms. I dodged between the cubicles. Wilson's cries were still ringing out, but I could hear his heavy footfalls on the stage. My only chance was to hide. 
Ducking behind a cubicle, I wriggled out of my shoes and kicked them into the wings. On silent, slippery socks, I tiptoed in the opposite direction, chancing a quick glance backwards to ensure Wilson wasn't in view. Then I ducked behind the curtain of another cubicle and scoured for somewhere to crawl into. I spied a small cupboard under the bench, but it was too small to fit both me and your machine. High above the workbench sat a narrow shelf. It'd have to do. Moving as quietly as I could and with held breath, I stood on tiptoe, nudging the machine onto the shelf. I stood back and took a quick look. The machine was high enough to not be immediately obvious, but the dangling power plug was a dead giveaway. There was no time. I fed the plug into the hole at the back of the bench top, obscuring it as best I could. Then I wriggled into the small cupboard and stuck my fingers through the door holes to ease them closed. For the second time in two days, I gave silent thanks for being so tiny. Wilson's cries died down. His shoes struck a purposeful beat across the stage. Clonk, clonk, clonk. Silence. Then again. Clonk, clonk, clonk. The distant creak of a door being opened. My veins ran cold. He was searching the cubicles, one by one. It was stuffy in my cupboard and my eyes watered with wood dust. My nostrils tickled. As his footsteps grew closer, I pinched my fingers to my nose, holding back a sneeze. I needed a miracle. Surely the competitor bell would ring out soon. Then the hall would flood with students and teachers. Danny, Betty, Mr. J, they'd all be here. Clonk, clonk, clonk. The steps grew louder. Then they stopped. The metallic sound of curtain rings sliding across a rail rang in my ears. The decisive slam of a cupboard door resonated along my spine. Dr. Wilson was very close now. There were noises coming from the cubicle next door, like a rat trying to scratch its way out of a box. I was next. The walls of my cubicle vibrated. It took a moment to realise it wasn't Dr. Wilson causing the cupboard to shake, but me, shivering uncontrollably. Desperate thoughts ran through my head. I would never see Kat again. I would never meet you. Tears flowed silently down my cheeks. It's true. Right at the end, Dad, I was thinking of you. And where were you, Dad? Where were you? Every risk I took to build the machine, I did for you. And here we were, down to the ugly end of business, and you couldn't even bother to show up. Clonk, clonk, clonk. The strike of Dr. Wilson's heels rang in my ears. He was outside my cubicle. The hairs on my arms prickled up. Metal tinkled against metal as I heard the cubicle curtain slide across the rail. Prying fingertips wriggled into the grip holes of the cupboard, emerging on my side. A shaft of light appeared, then widened. Every vessel in my body froze. I fought the urge to tug the doors closed, my brain desperately rifling through last-ditch options. I squeezed my eyes shut. But behind my eyelids, I couldn't banish the sight of those creepy blue eyes peering down at me, strong fingers reaching for my neck. I inched further into the corner. Something brushed my shoulder. I stifled a scream, 
realised through my frozen terror it was the power cord for your machine. I gave it a mighty tug and heard a muffled bang from above. The cupboard door stopped moving and the fingers slipped back through the hole. I let go of the cord. There was a clatter, then a thock, thud. What followed was a strange scuffling sound, like shoes scrabbling against the floorboards. A muffled cry, then silence. My body shook uncontrollably from the nerve endings in my hair to the tips of my toes. The floorboard creaked and the bright light struck my eyes. I squinted involuntarily, then squeezed my eyes shut, waiting for the end to come. Seconds later, I was still waiting. I opened a timorous eye. My heart thumped. Instead of the cold blue eyes of Dr. Wilson, I was met with the grey eyes of Mr. Bell. His gaze was inquiring, anxious, scared. I'd never seen him like that before. He was crouched over the slumped body of Dr. Wilson, looking at me but at the same time tapping a message into his phone. Dr. Wilson's gun lay by his side. Mr. Bell kicked it away, then slipped his phone into his lapel pocket. I blinked, then looked again. Yes, Mr. Bell was still there, reaching for me. With a strangled cry, I leapt over Mr. Wilson's body into Mr. Bell's outstretched arms. He caught me up and squeezed me tight. I couldn't hold it back anymore. I started to bawl, ugly bawl, with huge gulping sobs and fat snotty tears that wouldn't stop. Mr. Bell just held me tight and let it all flood out. When I finally got my voice to work, the words tumbled out in a hot gushing rush. It was him. Wilson, all along. Because of him, you and Kat were dragged through the mud and labelled murderers. Because of him, I don't have my dad. All because of some jerk's greed? My voice rose and cracked. I know, Mr Bell soothed and clucked in a way I hadn't thought possible. I know. We were all fooled. Everything will be fine. I lifted my head glancing down at Mr. Wilson. Is he? Mr. Bell followed my gaze. No. I've just knocked him out for a spell. Mr. Bell opened his jacket, revealing a gun and a syringe. But you did the hard work, dropping the machine on his head. It dazed him long enough so I could overpower him. I hiccoughed mid-sob, managed a smile. I knew you weren't just an ordinary driver. Mr. Bell smiled as though about to deflect, but I had more questions. How did you know to come save me? I asked, smudging my tears with my fingers. When did you realise it was Dr. Wilson? Mr. Bell gave a raspy laugh. I didn't. After what you told me, I didn't trust him at all, but I thought he was dead. No? You can thank your own audacity for why I came back. I frowned. What do you mean? I've dealt with you too long, Ginger Jones, not to know when you're up to something. I had a feeling something wasn't right, and about half an hour down the road it hit me. The box I checked didn't have a compartment for butter, or whatever confounded thing you were planning to abracadabra into something else. For the first time... I noticed the wooden box at Mr. Bell's feet, Danny's original science project. 
I broke into a massive grin that pinched my salt-stained cheeks. So you came all the way to Brisbane to tell me off for switching the boxes? Mr Bell smiled back, his snaggled teeth almost gleaming. Something like that, yes. Well, I'm glad you did. I took Mr Bell's hand and patted it with a tenderness that caused him to do a double take. I left my hand there for a few moments longer, embracing the brief warmth of being on the same side. Then I looked at him through squinted eyes and said, Don't get used to this. I'm no softy, you know. Mr Bell laughed. I never doubted it. My grin faded as I turned my attention back to Dr Wilson. What are we going to do? We can't just leave him here. In response to my question, Mr Jansen's head appeared at stage level, travelling fast up the side steps. When his gaze found Mr Bell, he picked up the pace. Bell? I came as soon as I received your message. What's this mess you're talking about? He rounded the landing and took in the full scene. Me, with red-rimmed eyes. The sprawled body of Dr Wilson. Mr Bell, his suit ever so slightly rumpled. Well, this is some mess. Mr J stopped and thought for a moment. I brought a little gadget that should disable the emergency door alarm. He caught sight of my frown and shrugged. Preparation is the key, Freckles. You never know when you'll need these things. Now, we've got to get him to the back of the stage and quickly. We're about to be joined by 20 or so teenagers. Can you give me a hand, Bell? Ginger? I'll message Bruce to drive round back. While Mr J contacted Bruce, Mr Bell crouched down at floor level. He took a pair of handcuffs from his pockets and secured Dr Wilson's hands behind his back. Voices drifted down from the top of the stairs. The competitors were starting to file into the hall. Aho, Bell. I see you've brought along your own contingencies pack. A mischievous smile played at Mr Jensen's lips. Mr Bell replied, smoothing a loose lock of grey hair into place. I drive for a rather diverse client base, dear Jansen. As you say, it pays to be prepared. I'd love to hear all about it, but we'd better get a wriggle on. Be careful, I said, as Mr J and Bell took an armpit each and hauled the unconscious Dr Wilson to shoulder level. Dr Wilson knows some tricks to escape. That's how he killed Mr Makepeace. Mr J and Mr Bell shifted the dead weight of Dr Wilson between them, striking for balance. They exchanged a terse smile. Don't worry, said Mr J. We'll both go. A bubble of panic rose in my chest. I didn't want them to risk it. But where will you go? What about the machine? Mr Bell took my hand and gave it a reassuring squeeze. We'll be okay. We're both very resourceful when we want to be. I grinned. Talk about an understatement. I stepped forward and lifted the machine off the floor, examining it for damage. There was none that I could see. Mr J's casing wasn't even scuffed. The machine was really the government's in the first place, Mr Bell said, meeting my eyes. With the immediate threat of Dr Wilson averted, they should have it now. I thought about protesting, about fighting for your machine one more time. But my arms were dead heavy, and I'd used the last of Mr Jansen's fuel. There was no pulling off our plan anyway.
I carried the machine to the rear exit, while Mr. Bell and Mr. Jansen hafted Dr. Wilson's unconscious body. Mr. J was just opening the emergency door when a bell rang overhead. All three of us stiffened. It's the competitor's bell, I said. We'll have to hustle. As I spoke, the heads of the first lot of competitors rose up the stairs, reaching stage level. I couldn't see Danny or Betty. Mr. Jansen cast his eyes wistfully over the cubicles. Tell Betty I'm sorry. Some important business came up. If I can't send Bruce back for you, I'll send a hire service to take you all home. I smiled and gave him and Mr. Bell a quick hug. Thank you. Thanks for coming to the rescue. Thanks for everything. Mr. Jansen ruffled my hair. You're not so bad, Freckles. The emergency door clicked to a close. A moment later, Danny and Betty arrived at my side. Ready to fire this baby up? Danny asked cheerfully. He looked around. Where is Mr. Jansen? <laughs> <laughs>